I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas. Ice House is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980, and each week we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book, and Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins. Every week, I sit down with my dad and we talk through his time as a cop in the 80s in uh, in Sydney. Now, Dad, uh, Merry Christmas, first of all. Let's get that out of the way. How, how was your Christmas? My Christmas was um, non-eventful. Yeah, okay. Because you were meant way. to be here. I was meant to be there, mm. but it was good. It was uh, overcast. Mm-hmm. Went for a run and swim on Bondi Beach. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. You don't sound Paul. No, I mean, not a, not a not a big fan of Bondi Beach. I think it's a. Well, I mean, the thing the thing is that I mean, I mean, once you've been to the northern beaches, uh, which is not something I would recommend people do right now. Uh, once you've been to the northern beaches, every other beach just looks a bit shit. I mean, well, you know- I actually disagree. <laughs> I used to agree with that. Yeah, sure. But Bondi, I'm I'm warming to it. I think it's it, just it, like it, a- it has some very very good characteristics. Yeah, the char- it's got the characteristics of what you find under the seat of a taxi. Like it is just it's sticky and fuzzy and ashy and bleh. But having said that, go across the Coogee, fucking beautiful. Anyway. Beaches are great. Beaches aren't something that I can be anywhere near right now because uh, we're locked down. But Loose Units takes place largely on the northern beaches or, you know, the North Shore, that kind of area. Mm. Um, and when you were growing up and when you were a police officer, you were living at a... Were you still living in the share house at this point in the book? Sorry, we're going through Loose Units week by week, chapter by chapter, and talking about Dad's, you know, kind of recollections of what it was like. We're going behind his kind of... His version of events that I then turned into chapters in the book. The story behind the story, if you will. Mm. And yeah, Dad, at this point, chapter 10, Broken Toes, is what we're looking at this week, um, which is something I was really looking forward to, actually, because I always admired your... Um, I mean, this chapter has you standing up to some bullies, basically, which I really resonate with. Mm. But mm. at this point in your police career, 
where were you living and who were you living with? I, from memory, was living in that flat in mm. Harbord. Um, is Harbord now called, oh, anyway, a suburb north of Manly? It's still Harbord, isn't it? Yeah, they've changed the name of the beach, but anyway, that's Wait, did they? There. Yeah, it used to be called, um, oh, fuck knows. Anyway, but listen, um, I was living in the same flat with my brother and his friend. Yeah. Um, did I tell you that that friend is, shall I use his real name? Why not? No, don't use his real, no, no, don't use No, his anyway, he was, he was a very good friend of, uh, of my brother's. Yeah. So the two of them were living in the flat. And he used to have this girlfriend who who now is his wife. And every pretty well every morning I'd come out of my room and they would be naked, often in the hallway, just lying there. Oh, that's which nice. Which was pretty scary. And I used to be confronted with him and his partner, mm-hmm. now wife, both nude, yeah. on my way to the bathroom where you know, the marijuana was being sort of harvested behind a painting. Good for them. So yeah, that's where I was living. I think that's a very that that's a, I mean that's their love story, that's their origin story, and I wish mm, I mm. wish them genuine goodwill. Mm. Well, this chapter, Dad, uh, chapter ten, broken toes, T O W S, as the dad jokey pun based title of this chapter would imply, it is about tow truck drivers. Now, you've talked about tow truck drivers a little bit throughout the tenure of this show. This is mm. season five of Loose Units, so mm. I mean. Tow truck. I, th- I would like to think listeners and readers are, are pretty familiar with your opinions on tow truck drivers. Mm. But I'm going to kick off with the first paragraph or two of this chapter. And bear in mind, dear listeners, that people have, um, you know, uh, people have been pretty busy lately uh, with Christmas and all. And we've obviously had a few kind of spin off episodes, but it's nice to be back to the book. So here we go. As John had learned from Len, tow truck drivers in Sydney at this time were almost predatory. Rather than settling into a neat symbiosis where they cleaned up the city, grooming it like birds pecking ticks from the back of a surly rhino, they were vultures. And as Len pointed out, they were quite often run by bikey gangs or the mafia. It was, as Len often said, a bit of a clusterfuck. One morning, John and Len got a call to attend an accident in Cremorne. As they pulled up, John saw a young woman surrounded by four tow truck drivers, trucks parked nearby, their body language mirroring that of slavering hyenas, closing in on their prey. The woman was clearly distressed. So, Dad, obviously you're still with Len at this point. Mm. I think this is probably towards the tail end of your tenure with um, with uh, Mr. Meister. No, no, it was beyond that. I'd, I'd left my buddy, period, and um, I was work- just working general duties with him. To be to be to be quite specific. Yes, but I had to put it chronologically. I had to mm. put it here because mm. you were with Len in the book, and I couldn't but remember that my body period was only three weeks. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's a it's a short period, but I mean, I guess that's if you've read the book, and the book was your only experience with this story. I guess it's kind of I would like to think it's kind of interesting to find out that I kind of futzed with time in that respect. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's time is a malleable, a malleable concept, isn't it? Well, not if you're not if you're <laughs> giving testimony in court, right? True, but, but if you're but, but if yeah. you're building a story based on true events, you can just take something from you working with him later on and just smush it yeah. into an yeah. earlier story. Yeah, yeah, because remember that, you know, I finished my buddy period 
and that will become more and more evident as the book progresses, Paul. But, you know, I worked with with my buddies, of which yeah. there were two, because we're going to come up to the second one, I guess, fairly soon. Um, but I, I went on to work with them as as not equals, but as, as fellow police. And I was out of my, um, when I got out of my buddy period. But remember, I was still on probation for a year until I went back to the academy. Yes. So I would be often rostered to work with Len. And occasionally you'd have three up. And on this particular day, um, Dunn was also working. Because if you had extra police, you'd, you'd often go out with three. I mean, how, quite often you see general duties police cars today, mm-hmm. particularly the, the, the big wagons, and they can have, like this morning I saw four in one police vehicle, just out cruising. Right. But um, I, this particular service station is still there, and it's the back way. So if you're coming from the beaches to the city... It's a very, very common way to avoid military road. Right. I have gone past that service station since the the early 80s, which is when this occurred, probably, well, definitely in the thousands mm-hmm. of times. And every single time I pass that garage, I think of this story. Every time, interesting, and I and that's it. Just freaks me out with what I'm about to say, but that was forty years ago. It's in, it's just staggering, but <laughs> it is so fresh. And when I sat down, Paul, as I mm. dutifully do every single week, and read the chapter prior to us talking about it, it was visceral. The memory, because. The tow truck scene in Sydney was heavy. And there were police that I knew that were witnesses Mm -hmm. and they had to be under a Witness Protection Act. They had to be basically protected because they had turned evidence against crooked police that were taking massive kickbacks from the tow truck industry. And the tow truck industry throughout the world is an industry like garbage collection. You need it. If you imagine, if we didn't have tow truck drivers, you'd be you'd be you'd be ratchet. Well, Tegan and I had our car written off during lockdown, as listeners will know. It was just like smashed by an Uber driver who wasn't watching where he was going. And then the tow truck driver who rocked up during the night, he had to pull it off the tram tracks, and if he hadn't rocked up. There would have been, you know, um, no traffic able to get through on Turak Road during peak hour the next day. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and tow truck drivers, um, probably more so in the country, do an astounding job. But the the situation with the tow truck scene, at least in Sydney, has changed dramatically. Now, you describe these four guys. So it's four guys operating four different tow trucks. Yeah. And they, for the, for the listeners that have seen um, Lord of the Rings, um, when they were creating those creatures mm-hmm. underneath the earth, and they would sort of cut this sort of sack, like an umbilical sack, 
and they would crawl out and they were grotesque and scary. Are you comparing tow truck drivers to Urukai? If that's what they're called, yes. They were just massive and scary and okay. tattooed from top to bottom and a lot of them had done time. And they were um, often fond of following the orders of Saruman. Well, that's a very good um, segue into something that hopefully some people will get. Oh, okay. Um, I, I get it, but they were scary. Now, I only weighed 76 kilos in my ill-fitting police uniform, and I remember when I was in high school, the, one of the things that I hate in life and have always hated and, and will always hate are bullies and and trolls today we have trolls on the uh, on the internet and they it's funny you know in a classroom situation or a school situation i remember there there were bullies and i stood up to a bully in high school once and um he beat the shit out of me and there were hundreds of people standing around watching no one came to my aid and he basically sat on me and punched the shit out of my face um, and that that's what I got for standing up to a bully. I and didn't then, know that you you interacted with bullies at all. Well, in high school, there was a particular buddy, buddy, bully, yeah. and his, uh, his mother was a teacher at the school and I remember this fuckwit and, um, yeah, and it was embarrassing as well. Not only did I have the shit beaten out of me, and there was a ring around of hundreds of people because in the, in the in I was going to say the olden days, but in high schools back in the sixties uh, and seventies, and I'm not mm. sure about now. In fact, I I dare say it's very different now. But when I went to high school in the nineteen seventies, you'd hear the the call across the school: fight, 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 and everyone would just run, and there was a fight. And you couldn't see what was happening if you were sort of 10, 20 deep. And the fight would... And the teachers couldn't get in. They were basically... It was a ring of students. And, and those... It was, it was very gladiatorial. And um, there was always a victor. And um, the loser would just sort of lie there and then everyone would just walk away. It was surreal. Mm. As though nothing had happened. And... The fight that I got into in um, in high school, the really bad one, it actually took place in a park. So it was kind of organised where this bully's mates came up to me in school and said such and such, he wants to have you on. That's the term that used to be used. Have you on. And I stupidly agreed. And he was twice my body weight. And the fear, and you had to walk the gauntlet down to this park after school. I was shitting myself. And I walked into the, this, and the ring closes, and there are literally hundreds of people, like baying for blood. It's very kind of reminiscent of the, uh, of the Colosseum, where people went to watch atrocities committed. And, um, and I remember standing opposite this guy, like two 19th century pugilists, and... And he just came in and he whacked me in the face. He hit me in the nose and, of course, I was stunned. And my eyes were watering and I had no idea what I was doing. And he just started to pound me. And then I fell to the floor 
And people were shouting and screaming. They were like, it was ex- there was ecstasy in the air for everyone except me. And then I remember he sat on my chest. <clears throat> he straddled me and he just started punching me. Left, right, left, right. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It was terrible. So there was the pain, the blood, the bruising, but there was also the incredible, intense embarrassment. The humiliation, yeah. Humiliation. And I just, oh boy. And then I had to go home and explain to my parents why my face looked like a fucking pizza. And, um, of course, my father, he wanted blood. But I just thought, no. And I lied and I came up with some bullshit story. But, yeah, that was... That was how it was. And, and these, and so the bully thing, this story, Paul, is all based around four massive tow truck drivers that rock up to a fairly minor accident involving one car. And this lady, she would have been, so I was maybe 21, and she would have been maybe mid-20s. And she was really scared because these fuckwits were intimidating her. And, Paul, in the chapter you talk about why it was such a competitive, um, nasty, sort of high-stakes business. And a lot of people don't know, but for the tow truck driver that got the tow, he would then, because these were freelance tow truck drivers, they were not necessarily connected to a particular yard. 
So they would drive around and they would go to numerous car yards, uh, you know, like repair shops. And they'd pull up out the front. They'd sort of jump out of the, the vehicle, go to the proprietor of this said um, smash repair business. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy would come out and they'd, they'd walk <clears throat> around the car and um, they'd, they'd negotiate. So the... And it was just everything about it was crooked and rampant, and and, and they'd overquote, and, and and you know the and people were paying insurance to have their cars sort of repaired, and the, the the fees were exorbitant. And if that particular smash repair place was successful in getting that car, because it meant a lot of money to to them, obviously in repairs, they would hand over. The going rate was $1,000 cash back in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money when that's probably twice to three times an average. Well, my, my, my police income was $350 a week. A week in the early 1980s. So multiply that by three per drop-off. And if you're a really, really good tow truck driver... And you're really hustling. And there were numerous prangs back then. I remember as a police officer in one shift, we would average between five and ten accidents. Each car. And sometimes you're working three cars. And then multiply that by the number of police stations in Sydney. We're talking a big, big business. So obviously wherever there's big money... You've got standover, you've got crime, you've got the bikey gangs, you know, the banditos, the common cheros, the gypsy jokers, the hell's angels, the finks, all involved in this grubby, grubby business. So yeah. when these tow truck drivers go to this minor accident, which you so vividly described, um, where this young girl had basically clipped a bollard, like a metal barrier, and it had damaged the front end of her car and it depressed the metal guard down onto the tire and pressed it into the tire and she was so scared of these guys and then we rock up and um len uh he just stayed in the car and basically said to me off you go go Mm. and sort it and i walked um over and i and you know, I was obviously nervous and very, very raw, very green and very junior and very inexperienced. But I, when I saw this woman being basically intimidated, these four guys were standing around her. What a, what a nightmare for her. Imagine if that was, um, you know, Anne or imagine Tegan, sweet Tegan. Yeah. And you see this happening. What I mean, what on earth do you do? And um, I, I, I sussed out what was wrong, what had happened, and I just didn't want these guys to win. So I, um, I don't know, it was an instinctive thing, and it was quite surreal, Paul, because I went over to the, uh, to the workshop, and most garages back in the 1980s had workshops attached to the service station, um, and dare I say it, some of them even had full driveway service. In fact, there was a time in, well, in 
in, in Sydney and probably throughout Australia where you drive into a service station and you never got out of your car. Mm. Did you know that? Uh, I think so. So you'd sit in the car and an attendant would come up and and it still happens in Thailand and it's, it's, it's really refreshing and wonderful, particularly if it's incredibly hot. And they fill your car and they also, get ready for this, they'd wash your windscreen. How's that? Wow. And you'd pay and you'd drive off. But you also had mechanics and you could get tyres and all sorts of things. I mean, there are a few garages like that left in Sydney. But as we all know, most of them are now supermarkets, shops. And, um, you know, I went into this... uh, because I, I already had a bit of an idea what I could do, but I was very nervous because it could have ended in failure where I could have actually um, punctured her tyre. Imagine that. Imagine what would have happened if I had a sort of... Anyway, so I grabbed this big bar. Yeah, yeah. And it was really heavy, this bar. And I've sort of come across towards these guys. They may have thought, hang on a sec, is this guy about to attack us with an iron bar, which I could probably with difficulty have lifted it above my head, let alone swung it around. And they were just standing there sort of, you know, jaws dropped sort of thinking, what is going on? And I just walked straight past them. It was wonderful reading your chapter this morning, Paul. I really, really enjoyed it. It was was great because, you know, when we used to talk um, and you used to, I'd tell you these stories and I'm thinking to myself, because you were just taking notes and occasionally recording, but, you know, you just sort of really filled in all the spaces so, so eloquently. And um, it's, it's a pleasure and a thrill to read the chapters every week. I really <laughs> look forward to it. I'm serious because it makes me really, it, it, you focus. It's pinpoint focusing on, on real events where I was there. And this girl standing there. The four guys are just, you know, um, pr- pretty sort of sort of astounded as to what is about to unfold. Mm. And I took this bar over to the, um, the front of the car and I realised that there was a possibility that the tyre would explode, but my objective was to free the front uh, wheel, basically, mm. from this metal... Um, bumper bar, bull bar, sort of mashed metal mudguard, sort of that whole area had crumpled in on the actual tyre. And I gingerly began to to sort of pry. Um, it, and it was pretty intense work. And interestingly, none of the guys um, offered to help because they could see their $1,000 spotters fee sort of vaporising. And the girl was standing there. And I eventually freed the um, the metal that had sort of stoved in on the tyre and the tyre was fine. And then I stood up and I looked at these four guys and I just dropped this metal bar that weighed probably 15 to 20 kilos. I just dropped it in front of them on the concrete and it bounced beautifully. And I then took the girl away and I explained what she would have to now do. She could then go to a smash repair place of her own choice. Yep. And somewhere close to her. 
And um, I stood there and she was really grateful. I looked over at um, Len, looking uh, rather sheepish. Um, I think he kind of stayed in the car because he didn't really know how to handle the situation. Because at the end of the day, as I find out in future chapters, yeah, there was a dark side to my uh, to my buddy, and some terrible shit happened that we will explore in future chapters, Paul. But these bikies were just starting to shit. There's a Freudian slip. These tow truck drivers, they um, they were really pissed off, and the problem for me was that I would then have encounters with these guys throughout my time at North Sydney and Mossman Police Station. Not these specific guys, but this type of person. Well, I would actually go so far, Paul, as to say those specific guys because, you know, the tow truck drivers were were very much um, local and North Sydney was a major area for accidents because we had the Harbour Bridge. We had the Pacific Highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had military road, and um, yeah, it, it 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 was full on, and I had to watch my back because um, in another episode, Paul, you talk about the police car. Um, we'd gone to a particular particularly terrible um, motor vehicle accident. Yeah. You recall that what happened to my police radio? Uh, no, it was stolen. Have I told you that story? No, you haven't. Shall we talk about it now or later? How big is it? Well, it's a short story, but in a nutshell. No, um, no, don't in a nutshell. Let's let's do it properly. Uh, yeah, so, all right. So, yeah. So, if you want to expand on that, that's fascinating. Hmm. Well, the most oh, look. There are a couple of police items that are highly valued um, by members of the. The criminal gangs, the yeah. underworld. Now, I guess the number one object that a police officer carries... Now, this is rather sort of... I've been thinking about this just while I'm talking to you, but, I mean, obviously, a police officer's gun mm. is very desirable in that it's a small weapon, you can conceal it, and you can kill people with it. So that's obviously one thing that's... If you're going to kill a police officer, um, you're going to take their gun. Um, But there is one object, Paul, that is probably more beneficial. In fact, it's like the Holy Grail. Now, it may well be slightly different now, but back in the 1980s, the Holy Grail, if there was anything in the New South Wales Police Force that a crim wanted, it was their radio. Because if you have their radio, you can go out at night time, for example. You can mm-hmm. commit any type of robbery and you can be listening. So you've got your getaway driver. You've got two or three guys that are doing the job. Could be an ATM. Yeah. Could be an armed robbery at a garage. Any number of crimes. Smash and grab on a retail, luxury retail store. You've got your pursuit car. Back in the day, they were normally Subaru Imprezas. Mm-hmm. Um, anything really, really fast. Because, again, General Duties Police did not have pursuit cars. So if you're doing a major um, 
major criminal job, like a massive smash and grab, at the equivalent of, say, Louis Vuitton, a Chanel Rolex in the city, which is where these stores are. So you do a ram raid, but if you've got a police radio, you are listening and you can tell exactly when that job gets called through, through perhaps a triple O call. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then you hear VKG dispatch any cars in the vicinity of Louis Vuitton, George Street City, smash and grab in process, four offenders. Now, imagine you're listening, the driver, the driver's the guy, and he'll have a signal where he'll, he'll toot or whatever, and the, the guys in, inside committing the offence... They know that... It, okay. They know, they know. And that's why generally, you know, when you, the police rock up to a job, the, the crims are long gone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that police radio... And I went to a, f- a fatal car accident one night, and uh, it was summer, and it was a really, really... It was, it was a fucking bad, bad accident where a pedestrian had been killed... And uh, in Neutral Bay, and we rocked up, and I left the police car unlocked, and we ran. And um, when everything, when the dust settled, I went back to that police car, and I looked down, and my heart sank because the police radio was gone. Someone had reached in, you know, an opportunistic person, obviously someone who'd thought long and hard about what they could do with this particular radio, and they stole the police radio. Now, we're talking a sackable offence on many, many levels. And um, I believe that that... Um, because there were a lot of tow trucks around at that prang, at that fatality. Oh, you, you think a tow truck driver took it? Yeah. So that would actually be very beneficial for a tow truck driver because then they could figure out where to go next. Like, you know... Mate, you, you they'd be laughing. Crashed. Yeah. They'd be laughing. Don't they already have that kind of uh, tech? Don't they already have scanners? Uh, scanners are different, Paul. They they they're just kind of, you know, that was that was sort of tacitly approved, yeah. and 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 sort of the police would sort of because there was that the the advantage, of course, in that it was pretty good to rock up to a, an accident and have tow truck drivers there. Of course, yeah. But the whole situation changed, and we can talk about that maybe on a, on a Friday episode. But um, what happened was when I went back to the police station. Um, I, I could see my, my career flashing before me and I realised that I'd committed the most horrendous offence. And um, the sergeant... Um, now, I'm just putting this out there for everyone to hear because I'm, you know, I think it's it's kind of a, a really, really good story from my point of view, and that is that the particular sergeant, he, uh, he realised... He realised that I was a good bloke and I'd fucked up and... Um, he went out the back of the uh, into the back alley where we kept uh, that particular police car, and he took out his uh, massive black torch and he smashed the window of the police car. Do you want to hear something funny, Dad? And then he basically, Dad. Yep. Now that you're now that you're explaining this, now that you're telling me this part of the story, I have this <laughs> I have this terrible feeling you've told this story before. Yeah, I did. <laughs> But anyway, but it's a great story. It's a great, it's great but Okay. Anyway, the um, fact is that he, he covered my ass and he made out that uh, someone had broken into the police car, smashed yeah. it and taken the radio and saved my ass big time. I'm um, interested in the bullying aspect and the fact that you 
were um, sort of rubbed the wrong way by bullies on on principle and stood up to them on principle because you had an you know you had an interaction with them uh, at high school, which is so so interesting to me. I had no idea that you'd actually because as someone who was bullied very badly, I, I you know that I just find that very interesting. Um, mm. Mm. You know how much how much of that do you think informed your choice to become a police officer? You know, more, like, more than more than eighty percent. Not liking bullies, massive, massive. Really, I've always wanted to to help um, people, and I just can't stand bullies. They make yeah. me they make me sick. Yeah, and um, many good Samaritans in in history have have gone to help, and some of them have paid the ultimate price by being killed. Yeah, and um, but I I don't I don't. I find bullying on so many levels um, abhorrent and disgusting, and and it's and it's it's just it's really bad. Yeah. Well, I think that's a pretty good note to go out on. You know, don't be a bully. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Loose Units Origins. That was chapter ten, Broken Toes. Dad, what's next week's chapter? What are we looking at next? week? I guess it's chapter eleven. But in terms of the actual thematic oh, content, mate, I, I'd have to look it up. Hang on, let me just leaf through the book. Oh, this is happening on the mic. Here we go. Aha! Chapter 11 is called Taking Stock. And this is about meeting uh, Ant-Man. So, Anthony Woodstock, oh, the guy who great. was in Police Rescue. Wow. Yeah, so, wow. Diametrically opposed to yep. my first buddy. Yep. So, stuff's about to get very interesting for young John uh, and for us in the present day. So, we hope you're doing well. Uh, we hope you had a good Christmas. Make sure, uh, if you didn't have one, to have one next year i don't know i look it's a complicated time of year but we hope you're doing well and we will see you later this week for more loose units bye cheerio everyone bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.